0: Good to see you. Let me say thank you for making an extra effort. I know at 6 o'clock is tough if you work and uh, to, uh, to make an effort on Wednesday nights to come. And uh, tonight I want to uh, share with you the fourth of eight lessons. And this one tonight will uh, kind of tie in with those other three. Starting next week, if you haven't been here or if you've got some folks that haven't come yet, have them come the next two weeks because the next two weeks are really going to be really practical as far as helping you with how to study the Bible, okay? So if you'll do me a favor and do that, before I get started, I have been trying to uh, share with you a little bit our, about my past with your pastor and how far we go back, and I've been trying to bring something for show and tell each week. I brought you a little New Testament that we were given in elementary school. I, I brought a Bible that my mama had got me. Joel do not even remember it, but I used to take to uh, school in high school, a little zippered Bible. And then uh, two weeks ago, when I was here, I brought you a little jacket they had gave us—a little makeshift uh, athletic jacket that they gave us—and had the wrong colors on. We always got a kick out of it being wrong. But tonight, I want to share something with you that only Joel will appreciate. But um, I don't know if he still got one of these or not. But uh, we got we got these in the high school. <laughs> do you do you remember these? Yeah, these were really nice. These were our athletic bags and uh, that we carried. And um, we never got to play much, but uh, we got to carry a lot of neat stuff in them. And so those, I'm going to leave that sitting right there. You might want well to come up later and look at that. You've probably not seen one like that. But uh, those have a lot of memories. And, uh, yes, I'm a pack rat. I keep a lot of stuff, don't I? But I thank you for being here tonight, and I appreciate your prayers. I, I shared with Joel. Um, I think I shared it with you maybe the first week. I I shared something about friends, and I was sharing about Joel being one of my uh, friends that are on one hand of real friends and acquaintances. You get a lot of acquaintances going through life, but you have very few friends when it comes time to leave this earth. Well, I've had uh, now two of those leave this world in the last year and a half or so, and one of those left me last Tuesday, a dear, dear friend of ours, and I'm going to give you, at the end, I want to give you the name of his family to be praying for. Um, He was a... He loved Jesus, and I'll just tell you this much, everywhere we went, uh, he, would, uh, he would share with waitresses, uh, anybody we ran into contact with, even if we didn't know them, uh, they left there knowing Larry Thompson and loved Jesus, and uh, so I think that's a, a good lesson for all of us. Tonight, if you want to turn with me over to the book of Matthew, the 24th chapter and the 35th verse is the text for tonight. I hope you've got one of these little booklets, and I, I want to say thank you again to Joel and, and your church for putting these together. I really appreciate them. Doing that, and I hope you will take them and use them, and uh, hopefully it will be useful to you from a standpoint of of um, of how to find out how we got the Bible, what the Bible is all about, and how to study the Bible. For the next few moments, for this forty-five minutes, fifty minutes, however long we're in here, I want you to do this for me. I want you to just concentrate and uh, and just kind of put everything out of your mind for a few minutes, and let's talk about. How we study the Bible, but the relevance of the Bible. How relevant is it to you? To you, um, I personalize it. Uh, I think in every sermon, every message that we ever share, I always look at the audience or the congregation, and I know your pastor would do the same. When you're looking at those folks, they're really just saying, "How relevant is this to me? What's this going to? How's this going to impact me?" You may have a good sermon. You may have a good lesson plan. But they're they're sitting there thinking, Joel, how is this going to impact me? How relevant is this? So tonight, as we look at that, I want you to, um, to look at Matthew the 24th chapter and that 35th verse, and it says this heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. I love that's the King James Version in the New Living Translation. That latter portion of it says, will never disappear. It's not going anywhere. This word of God that we've talked about for now, the fourth, this is our fourth lesson in it. It's not going anywhere. When it says heaven and earth shall pass away, we know in the, when we talk about latter times, and heaven and earth will pass away. But my words shall not pass away. It's not going anywhere. It's not going to disappear. So how relevant is the relevance of the Bible as we talk about tonight? We have talked, in those last three lessons, when we talked about, we wrote, really broke it down into what's the reality of the Bible. In other words, what is the Bible? We talked about the receiving of the Bible, how we got the Bible, and then I think uh, the last time I was here, we talked about the reliability of the Bible. How reliable is it? So tonight when we think about this, the Bible, the introduction on your handout and your booklet, I want you to follow along with me here a minute. We have talked so far about the basics of the Bible. When you think about the relevance of the Bible, it's about the basics. You get to the basics. In coaching, coaching. In teaching and preaching and in instructing, or if you're a leader in anything, I think there is no better place to start than what we call the basics. And we have looked at so far the basics of the Bible, how we've got the Bible, what the Bible really is, and is it reliable. That's the basics of the Bible. Also, we've looked at what we call the benefits of the Bible, and we're going to look at that a little bit more in the next uh, four lessons. But the benefits of the Bible, we've got the basics down, we, we see the benefits, there's so, much, so many benefits in us learning about the Bible. So tonight, this lesson on the relevance of the Bible really comes down to this, what I would call the breakdown of the Bible, the breakdown, you break it down. And so when we look at this tonight, as that verse of scripture there in Matthew 24, 35 says, it shall not pass away, and it's not going anywhere, it's not going to disappear, but as we think about that, how relevant or what is the relevance of the Bible? How can you make it relevant in your life? Well, here's a couple of things I want you to understand. I've got you five little points down there in our handout, and I want you to follow along with me. Is this first of all, we've got to understand that the Bible is inspired by God. Now these eight lessons that we've condensed down into eight lessons really in a nutshell have we are gonna there's two really main verses we've talked about quite a bit. And again tonight when I talk about the Bible is inspired by God, that verse of scripture there that we've talked about, and I think it's on the back of your it's on the back of your book that it talks about the inspira- that word inspiration. When we look at Second Timothy, the third chapter and that sixteenth verse, again it says, All scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's profitable for doctrine and for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, depending on your translation, but it is talking about the inspired Word of God. Theonoustos, God breathed. That's where you and I have to understand that, that when we look at the relevance of the Bible, the Bible is inspired by God, God Himself. It is God breathed. Um, one of the things I like, things that are real. And when I look at the Bible, I look at this, and 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 you think about it: is is it real? Is it true? And is it relevant? Well, it's relevant because it is inspired by none other than God Himself. We know that other verse of Scripture we've looked at a couple of times so far. There, and excuse me, in Second Peter the first chapter, that verse twenty and twenty one, when it says when we talk about the the bible is inspired by god knowing this that first that no prophecy of scripture is of any private interpretation for prophecy came not in, but in the old time by the will of man but holy men of god spake as they were moved by the holy ghost so when you and i think about what that moving part is that is the inspiration the verbal inspiration of god the bible is inspired by god I want to give you something that I I read this, and I love this. When we start thinking about this, I um, I had a gentleman send this to me several years ago, uh, probably about 15 years ago, and I want to read it to you. It's talking about, is the Bible the inspired word of God? You may have heard this before, but I want to read you a little story about a guy that was teaching a class, and he was teaching a class. It was a college class, and he was having a question and answer session. And so as he began to, to talk about it, he was at this, uh, this university, and a student asked him, says, why do you believe the Bible is inspired, the inspired Word of God? Why do you believe that? I don't know about you, but I've been asked that several times. If you're a teacher, a preacher, or even a Christian, you're going to have somebody, uh, I, I, I don't think any of you all know her, but we call it the Gail Hope method in my home, me and my wife. I had a lady that was in my class 30 years ago, and she always had the toughest questions. She was one of those. I don't know if you've ever had that or not, but you've always had somebody that would come up after the service or the, or the meeting, and they would always come up, and they've got the toughest question, and you go home thinking, i got to go s- study this. But I have been asked, why is it that you believe that the Bible is the inspired word of God? Now, he said this is a very interesting question, and, and, the, and the teacher said um, probably one of the most important questions any Christian could ask themselves And what's so special and so unique about the Bible that Christians believe it is literally the inspired Word of God? Great question. Great question. If it is relevant to you and I, if if it is my source of my strength, um, you didn't sing it, but your other people appear to have seen it just a few moments ago. When you talk about is that the source of your strength? So in answering the student's question, he encouraged them to consider the following facts about the Bible. I want you to listen to me. It says, first of all, the Bible is not just one single book. Now, we've looked at this, I think, in the first or second week. The Bible is not just one single book. This is a most common misconception that many people realize, especially when people do not come from a Judeo-Christian background. Rather than being a single book, the Bible is actually a collection of 66 books, which is called the Canon, which we talked a little bit about in the second week, the Canon. And um, where's Jennifer? Is Jennifer here tonight? Jennifer, uh, did that answer your questions on the email? Okay. On the canon, because it's kind of a tricky thing when we start talking about the canonization. There's a couple of ways in what we call the canon. But, but he says that the uh, rather than being a single book, it's actually collecting the 66 books. It's called the canon of Scripture. These 66 books contain a variety of gen- genres, history, poetry, prophecy, wisdom, literature, letters, apocalyptic, just to name a few. Now, secondly, these 66 books were written by 40 different authors. This is where it gets really interesting. When you think about our Bible, the relevance of our Bible, and how we understand that it's the inspired Word of God, the 66 books were written by 40 different authors. These authors came from a variety of backgrounds. They were shepherds, fishermen, they were doctors, and kings, prophets, and others. And most of these authors never knew one another personally. Now, it's interesting when you think about the Bible, we never take that in consideration, do we? Of those 40 or so authors, they, most of them never knew each other personally. And so then you think, thirdly, here's the thing. These 66 books were written over a period of 1,500 years. We talked a little bit about that as well in your notes if you'll notice that. Yet again, this is another reminder that many of these authors never knew or collaborated with one another in writing these books. That's amazing. The fourth thing about it, the 66 books of the Bible were written in three different languages. In the Bible, we have the books that were written in ancient languages of Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic. And it's a reflection of the historical and cultural circumstances in which each of these books were written. All of those are interesting, aren't they? You think of that. How relevant this Bible is and why do you make it real in your life? Well, finally, here these 66 books were written on three different continents. We know they were written in Africa, Asia, and Europe. And once again, there's a te- this is a testament to the varied historical and cultural uh, circumstances of God's people. Now, think about the, re- uh, the above reality. Sixty-six books written by 40 authors over 1,500 years on 13 different langu- in 13 different languages and three, di- three different continents. What's more, the collection of books share a common storyline, the creation, fall, and redemption of God's people. A common storyline: the creation, fall, redemption, and God's people, and a common theme: God's universal love for all of humanity, and a common message: salvation is available to all who repent of their sins and commit following to following God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. In addition to sharing these com- commonalities, these 66 books contain no historical errors and or contradiction. No contradictions. God's word truly is an amazing. Collection of writings. We've we've talked a little bit about that. Hopefully, you were here in the first three weeks. No contradictions. All historical facts are, are backed by. So after he shared the above facts with these students, after he shared that, he offered them the following challenge. He said, and is what I would tell you to do. He said to them, If you don't believe, if you do not believe that the Bible is the inspired word of God, if you do not believe that the Bible is of a supernatural origin, then, a, then I challenge you to attest. I said to the students, and this gentleman said it, I challenge you to go to any library in the world. You can choose any library you like. You find 66 books which match the characteristics of 66 books in the Bible. Then you, you've got to choose these 66 books written by 40 different authors over 1,500 years in three different languages written on three different continents. and However, they must share a common storyline or a common theme and a common message with no historical errors or contradictions. He went on to say that if you can produce such a collection of books, I'll admit that the Bible is not the inspired word of God. The student's reply was almost instantaneous, instantaneous and emphatically stated, but that's impossible. It does sound impossible, doesn't it? But can I tell you, I hold in my hand something that seems impossible to carnal man, but it is the... Inspired Word of God—it's God-breathed. Here's what he closed with. He told him, but he said, "But that is—that's impossible. It's truly impossible for any collection of human writings. However, the Bible passes the test. The Bible contains those 66 books, all of those things that we talked about from Genesis to Revelation. This is the inspired Word of God, and I say Amen to that. Amen. And I don't think, and I, I don't apologize to folks that that say, "Well, you can't prove it is, and I, you can't prove it ain't." But there is enough evidence historically, archaeologists, archaeologists uh, astrologers, all of those things we talked about, anatomy and all those things we've talked about, all prove that this is the inspired Word of God. The second thing about the relevance of the Bible is it's not only the inspired, it is the inspired Word of God, but the Bible is intended to glorify God. Now, there's a misnomer with some folks about what it means to glorify God. Well, there, there is two words in the Bible. Uh, there's a Hebrew word and a Greek word. The pastor may have shared some of this stuff with you, some of your studies, but I'm going to tell you, there's two um, variations of the word for glory, to glorify God. So what I would look at is, and if you'll look on your, uh, on your handout there, so there's a couple of things I want you to look at in the Old Testament and some things over the New Testament to look at when you think about what does it mean to glorify God. And when I look at those, and I was, I was trying to study some of these things, of, of examples of that, in the Hebrew word, to glorify God, there's a Hebrew word, uh, kabod. And I'm, I may butcher it all together. I'm not really good at, at pronouncing these the correct way, but it's, it's spelled K-A-B-O-D, kabod. And it means to glorify God. Well, what does this mean in this way? It means in the Hebrew, the word glorify is kabod, and in the Greek, it's doxoso. I believe the way it's pronounced. And there are two different aspects of the, those words, to glorify God. Uh, do you all have anybody that you know of that always says, to God be the glory? And I just want to bring glory to God? Well, when they say that, what are we really meaning by that? Well, as we look at this tonight, when we talk about the relevance of the Bible, the Bible's intended to, to glorify God. Well, first, the glorified means in, in the, the Old Testament meaning that word kabod. It means to shine or to demonstrate or to manifest the divine, okay? Now, we see several examples of that, and I, on your notes there, in Exodus, the 16th chapter, and in the 7th verse, it says, And in the morning, then ye shall see the glory of the Lord, for that he heard, heareth your murmurings against the Lord, and what, what are we that ye murmur against us? I uh, love the Israelites, don't you? They were so, they were content with anything, that God did for them, weren't they? They were the whiniest bunch of people. Uh, they complained. and uh, Manna from heaven, godly food. And they complained about it. They complained about everything. And, and I'm, not, I'm not making it up. I, I, if you look at, if you read your Bible, and I'm going to give you some good things here in a couple of weeks. The next couple of weeks of how to read and study your Bible. But you begin to look at those children of Israel and the murmurings, but at the beginning of that, it says in the morning, I'm going to show you, the, you shall see the glory of the Lord, the kabod, which means that it, it is that to demonstrate or to manifest the divine. He turned over just a few pages over in Exodus, that same book, in the 24th chapter, and in the 16th verse, the Bible says, And the glory of the Lord abode upon Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it six days. And the seventh day he called unto Moses, out of the mist of the cloud, this, this meaning that means to represent the presence of God is what it means. in other words, to glory, the glory of God, we can't understand that presence. There was a, uh, there's a term that, is, um, that God manifested himself in in the Old Testament called the Shekinah glory cloud. You ever heard that? The Shekinah glory cloud, boy, heaven fell down and God's glory was in that service and people says that. Well, I hope that's, that their meaning is right of what they're talking about, but that Shekinah glory cloud was talked about uh, there in Exodus, the 24th chapter that we just read a little bit about, but it was manifested there in a pillar of cloud and a fire. And so we, we see also when the, in the wilderness, we're in Exodus, the 40th chapter, you can write this out to your right and I love how y'all did this and you in your little handout to the right. I want you to read this when you have time. In Exodus, the 40th chapter, when it's talking about where the, the it also filled the tabernacle there when they were in the wilderness. I think it's verses 34 and 35 in Exodus chapter 40. What we see also in Solomon's temple was another anointed place where God's glory permanently dwelt there. And you can read that in 1 Kings there in the 8th chapter and then 2 Chronicles in that 7th chapter. So that's the Old Testament aspect of glory so again the relevance of the bible in the second point the bible is intended to glorify God the bible was never intended to to be a, a, a make you feel good it was not a book that was to talk about you and me and to build us up it was to bring glory to God and to show forth him So in the New Testament, when you bring it to the New Testament, and you start to look, I want you to turn over and start in John the 11th chapter. And we know there in John the 11th chapter, talking about the story of Lazarus, we see this in the New Testament, that word doxosoul. And it means this in in the New Testament, the aspect of that word for glory there means to reflect, to show forth, or to demonstrate, or to express the image of an object. Uh, or person that it, may, that it may be seen by all. It means by all to add something to someone's character that it in itself does not have. So in the New Testament, this word doxosol really can mean to signify, extol, or to ascribe to honor. So that's to bring honor, to glorify him. So when we think about there in John, the 11th chapter, and in the fourth verse, there's many things that happen to us in our life. Um, I shared with you, my friend, we thought he had Parkinson's disease, 68 years old, very vital, doing, traveled all over the country and uh, just a wonderful, wonderful man, 68 years old. So he started having these tremors. I noticed it uh, last couple of times we were eating lunch. So we thought he had Parkinson's disease. So then a week ago, uh, uh, two weeks ago, I get a text saying it's not Parkinson. It's a really rare disease that is found in one in a million people worldwide. Uh, it's CLD, I believe. I don't got it. But it's a neurological disease It's always fatal. They gave him about six months to live. They put him in his hospice. He lived three days. And, and the first thing that we always ask about is why does good people... And I've got a message, I never every preacher's preach this message. Why does bad things happen to good people? And I've shared that, but I've also shared why does good things happen to bad people? That's <laughs> even a greater mystery to me. But the first thing you think about is why does people get sick? We don't know. The greatest answer you're ever going to get from your pastor, if you come up with tough questions, is he's going to tell you, I don't know. We don't know. But here in the story of Lazarus, when we think about the, the, the Bibles intended to glorify God, this story of Lazarus comes there in John the 11th chapter and the 4th verse. It says, when Jesus heard that he said the sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. Now we know the story of Lazarus there and, and the outcome of that. But when we think about all of these examples in the Bible of how it brings glory, again, docks a soul. When you look at this book of John there, also in your notes, look, turn a page or so over to the 12th chapter of John. And then the 16th verse, there was Jesus' triumphal entry. And he says in the 16th verse, he said, Then these things understood not his disciples at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then remembered they that these things that were written of him, that they had done these things unto him. We don't understand everything, but to God be the glory, those things that happen sometimes in our life and our walk here on this earth that we don't understand, but we know that God is working, and to God be the glory. Now, we have questions. There also in John, the, thir- uh, the 23rd verse of that same chapter, in chapter 12, he says, and when Jesus was, uh, predicts his death, he says, Jesus answered them saying, The hour is come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Again, when we look at that, when we think about Jesus going to be glorified, it means that he is to, be de- uh, to express this image, an object of a person, that it can be seen of all. Sometimes things happen in our life we don't understand. But the outcome is that God gets glory for it. Okay? Sickness, even death. Hard times. Uh, I think I shared with you all, I think it was you all I was shared just here recently with about in my prayer life when I began to pray about those things that I'm thankful for. I think you all was the ones I was talking to about it. But I said one of the things I uh, I thank him for is this. I thank him for home, my heritage, my health, my healing. But I thank him for my helps, but I thank him for my hurts. Because when you thank him for your hurts, those hurts are there to benefit you and I. I don't understand it. It it is tough because I've got some great questions. But it says that it brought glory to him. Also there in in John the 13th chapter, there in the 31st verse, it says there when he was teaching... At the Passover, he said, therefore, when he was gone out, Jesus said, now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. Amen to that. Amen to that. So, so when you begin to look at those stories there, the last thing I would tell you about it is when you think about this, according to the Bible, that the glorified God means this. It means to bring Christ innate glory to a radiance of light that, that is manifested or reflected. The last verse on that little handout there that I gave you in that one, John 17, 1 says, These words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, said Father, this, the hour is come. Glorify thy son that thy son also may glorify thee. We have a saying. It's all about him. and You probably have that same saying. But everything that you do, your work, I heard a message here recently talking about work. You know why we work? We work to provide. We work to give, but we also work to witness. And everything is about bringing glory to God. Everything you and I do, if I do this for any other reason, Joel does this for any other reason, if it's to boast your your self-esteem or to be seen of men, then we'll fall. But it's all about bringing honor and glory to him and to, be, and to show that light of Jesus. So, hurriedly, I know those first two take a long time, but those first two. And by the way, these lessons, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to condense these into one. These are mostly two-week things, so uh, bear with me. So, that, the third thing is this, the relevance of the Bible. The Bible identifies the gospel. The Bible identifies the gospel. If you leave here and you think about this, so how relevant is this Bible to me? Well, here's how relevant it is. It identifies the gospel, the good news. We all uh, right now could use some good news. And so when I think of that there, we, we think of those verses of Scripture on your hand out there. John three sixteen. It's in the Bible. It's probably the first Bible verse you learn in a Bible school or as you're growing up in a Sunday school as a child. It's John three sixteen. For God so loved the world. That he gave his only begotten son, depending on your translation, that whosoever shall believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. That is the, what the Bible identifies, the gospel. I love John three thirty six. 36. I, you know, if I was to take one passage of scripture, and this was one of the first verses I ever broke down, really broke down. When I talk about the breakdown of the Bible and the relevance of the Bible, John three thirty six was probably the first verse that I singly broke down uh, to put a, put a message together. But John three thirty six, when it says, "He that believeth on the Son hath life, hath everlasting life," and the he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth in him. It's broken down into two character uh, character or uh, two two categories. I, have, I share this with a lot of audiences and congregations that I, I, I have come to realize this. When you get up to speak or you're, you're talking to folks, you're only talking to two categories of people. Those that are saved and those that are lost or unsaved. Those that are on the way to heaven or those that are on the way to hell if they never received Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. It's that simple. That's what John 3.36 says. That's why the Bible is relevant because it, it identifies this gospel. Romans 1.16, very popular verse of scripture that we read often, is it says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. For it's the power of God and the salvation to the Jew first and also to the Greek or the Gentile. So when you think about that, it identifies the gospel. Romans ten nine through thirteen is that passage of scripture that we always when we take folks down the Roman road. If you if you ever take a soul winning or witnessing class, then you're going to end up somewhere in Romans ten nine through thirteen, and it simply says this that in verse nine where it starts out it says that that with the that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus you confess him, he says him with the and. and and, uh, and believe in thine heart that God had raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. It's the gospel. You believe, you confess. It says, for within the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. The misnomer on that, a lot of people say, so if you've said the prayer or you've, conf- you've said it, but you don't possess it, that's not salvation. Salvation is not a sinner's prayer, that, a canned prayer that we pray. It's the attitude of our heart to change. When he says there in Romans ten eleven, he says, For the Scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord over all, all is rich unto all that call upon him. We always close when I do the Roman road in Romans there in ten thirteen. For whosoever. Put your name in there. If you're talking to somebody, you've got somebody that you're praying for that's lost. Put their name in there. for who, If If Billy calls upon the name of the Lord, thou shalt be saved. And that is exactly why the Bible identifies the gospel. I'll give you two other verses real quickly, and we're going to move on there. In 1 Corinthians there in the 15th chapter, very familiar passage here. We read this. This is also the gospel where it identifies the gospel. In the Bible, it says, uh, starting in 1 Corinthians in the first uh, first verse of chapter 15, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which I also have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also you are saved. And if you keep, me, keep in memory what I have preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. Here it is, verse number three. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, this Bible. He says in the fourth verse, and that he was buried and rose again the third day according to the scriptures. I love how he reemphasizes it each time according to the scriptures. That's the relevance of the Bible. It identifies this gospel. He says there in verse number five, uh, there in verse five when he's seen of the Cephas and then of the twelve. When you think about that, how he talks over, when he says, moreover, brethren, I declare unto you. But it's all based upon the Bible. According to the scriptures, it identifies the gospel. The last verse on that part I would give you is this. Then First John, the fourth chapter. There in First John, the fourth chapter, and there in the ninth through and tenth verse, he says, and that he was manifested in the love of God toward us, because that he that God sent His only begotten Son in the world, that that we might live through Him. Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be." The I love this word, propitiation for our sins. That is going to be something we'll look at here in just a minute talking about grace, but that is exactly what propitiation. He put somebody in my place. So when you and I think about the relevance of the Bible there, that the Bible does identify the gospel. The fourth thing it does this is the Bible is the introduction of what we call Grace. Grace. God's riches at Christ's expense, whatever acronyms you want to use. But grace, that unmerited favor that you and I have, the Bible is what introduced us to that. When you look there, we, we looked a, a few moments ago in Romans, the first chapter, when we was talking about Romans 1.16. But I want you to notice those first five verses of the book of Romans. In the first chapter, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle and separated unto the gospel of God which he had promised afore by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Again, reemphasizing, it's the Bible. The relevance of the Bible identifies the gospel. And here it introduces the grace. He says, um, verse number 3, Concerning his son Jesus Christ our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh, and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead, by whom we have received Grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name. It is the introduction of grace when you begin to think about this. I love the book of Romans. In Romans, the third chapter, that very familiar passage of Scripture in Romans, the third chapter, verses 20 through 24, says this. It says, Therefore, by the deeds of the law there shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. The law shows me my need of grace and a Savior. He says in verse 21, But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, but witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ and to all men, upon all them that believe, for there is no difference. That Roman road leads us to this passage right here where we start. For all have sinned. It is the introduction of grace. We're sinners. You say I come here on a Wednesday night. I'm saved. I don't, this is not relevant to me. I'll bet you, you know somebody that it's relevant to. Maybe a family member. Maybe a neighbor. Friend. Somebody you work with. But I'm going to tell you. It says for all of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But then verse 24 says being justified freely by his grace. Grace. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Whom God has set forth to be, again, that fancy word, propitiation. Through faith and his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. I'm going to tell you something. It's the introduction of grace. they very familiar scriptures and verses we always love, especially as Baptists. We love sharing this part, passage of scripture. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. When we talk about the introduction of grace in the Bible, in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, that very familiar couple of verses says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, least any man should boast. I always like to tie that verse 9 on there because I can tell you I know me pretty well, and I ain't got a lot going for me, so I got to tell you something, if I could save myself, I'm going to brag about it. I tell them it's about me, but it's not of my works. It's by grace, and I was introduced to grace because of the Bible. That's why it's relevant. The fifth thing I would give you real quickly is this: the Bible is instruction for guidance. Now, the first or second week, I may have told you this. I said we view this. I think it was the first week. We view the Bible a lot of times as this. We we view it as a roadmap to life or an instruction manual for life. I want to remind you when I talk about the, the Bible as instruction for guidance, that it, 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 should be, um, it shouldn't be just a book of self-helps, uh, although it is a book that helps us tremendously. A lot of people want self-helps and uh, um, how-to type of things. So when we look at this, when I say the Bible is instruction for guidance, I want to take you back to Psalm 119, where we started in the first week. Psalm 119 has so many great uh, verses in it that is relevant to the Word of God. In Psalm 119, when you think about this, it says in verse number 11, Thy word have I hid in mine heart, that I might not sin against thee. Now, hiding God's Word in your heart, people says this, uh, uh, the most... and, and all of us has been impacted by this in some way. Um, dementia, a memory loss, and, and those type of things. And it's a horrible, horrible uh, way for our loved ones, a terrible disease. So the Bible says, hide thy word in thy heart, that I might not sin against God. Memory verses. I, I strongly believe in scriptural scripture memorization, and, and mainly because <laughs> I, can't, I can't remember like I used to. So as you get older, I can tell you this much. Drink a lot of water. It helps your brain. But also memorize scripture. But he says, thy word have I hid in my heart. But my motive for doing that is that I might not sin against thee. I've often heard it said this way. Sin will keep you from God's word. But God's word will keep you from sin. It works both ways. So when you think about the, the instruction for guidance, look there again in Psalm 119. Turn over a page or so into verse 105. I love this. It says, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. So when you think about the relevance of the Bible, the Bible is instruction for guidance. I don't know about you right now, but most people uh, were wanderers. You know what sheep are? Uh, Any of you have sheep? Anybody that you know of have sheep? You've got sheep. Well, did you know sheep are, they're prone to wonder, aren't they? They're also probably one of the dumbest animals there is anywhere, right? Well, I'm a sheep. And I need guidance. I need guidance. That's why we're referred to as sheep so often in the Bible. Psalm 23, there's a lot in there. whole message within itself. But... But we're prone to wander, and we need guidance. So the Bible, the relevance of the Bible for us, it's instruction for this guidance. When he says there, the word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path, I need some guidance. And it's, that's why the instructions from this Bible helps us with guidance. The last verse I want to give you tonight is this, is 2 Timothy, the, the second chapter. There in the 15th verse, when we... Uh, we think about this, and this is on your, on your book. It says study of the Bible. Well, there's a key word there, that word study. And um, there's a difference between reading something and studying it. And uh, most of you probably know what I'm talking about because we so often uh, read over things. But the 2 Timothy 2.15 is a very familiar scripture. It says, study to show thyself approved unto God a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. I will challenge you, especially the next two weeks, the title of them is The Recipe for Studying the Bible for the Next Two Weeks. And I'm going to give you some things that I have used and that I've learned over the years that helps me with studying the Bible, not just reading it. That's why I didn't put in there it's a recipe for reading the Bible because I believe it's, there's a difference. Uh, we're not all going to be preachers. We're not all going to be evangelists or great teachers, or, or. but we need to study the Bible. We saw where he said in Psalm 119, study the, that uh, that it will keep me from sin. But when we think about that study, to show thyself approved unto God, I want to please him. As a little boy, I am. Uh, I often, um, and, and my, my daddy was a different type of person, okay, I, and a lot of people comes up to me after I say this, they say, man, your dad must not have been a very good dad. My daddy was a great daddy. He wasn't perfect, but he was perfect for me, uh, but uh, one of the things as a little boy I always wanted to do is I wanted to please my daddy. My daddy was not a sports fan, so doing sports did not please him. Um, if I wanted to please my daddy, I wanted to go out and help him work on a tractor or something like that or hand him tools. And uh, I think of that when I always read this verse, study to show thyself approved unto God. There's nothing more pleasing to me than thinking I'm making my Heavenly Father that he's pleased in what we're doing. And studying the Bible and knowing that the relevance of the Bible and this Bible is instruction for guidance for you and I, that's a really important way of studying to please God. He says, I don't have to be ashamed of it. I love that part. But then he says there at the latter portion of that, rightly dividing the word of truth. I, uh, I don't know about your pastor, but I know other preachers I've talked to tell me. You know, I say early in your ministry, what would you do differently? And they said, well, I would I would study more. But I really wanted to get things right, and um, when I study, it boils down to this: I'm just seeking truth. I want the truth. So when you and I begin to look at this, as we close, I've got you little acronyms I want to give you. And it's simple. It's a simple little acronym, but you can put them on there. It's simple this. It's the B-I-B-L-E. That's the book for me. Uh, I don't know the rest of the song because I never stayed that long in class. But um, it's simply this. It's basic instructions before leaving earth. Basic instructions before leaving earth. When you and I think about this, uh, we are w- prone to wonder. we are searching. Um, I tell people this a lot of times I, if somebody and you can you can tell if you're in any kind of ministry at all, someone that is searching and uh, and I think you know what I'm talking about. So they're in need of something, guidance. I'm going to tell you right now, there is no greater thing to find than God's Word. When I challenge you here in a couple of weeks, when, or next couple of weeks, I want you to, to uh, be thinking about what you're doing right now. If it's working for you with your Bible reading, and if you, if you look ahead, you're going to see the next two lessons are on uh, the recipe for studying the Bible. But what you're doing now, and everybody is different, some of the ways that I do probably wouldn't work for you and and uh and vice versa. So let's you be thinking about that and hopefully that'll that will help you. Will you all stand with me a minute and I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you to do the same thing. I'm not gonna embarrass you. There's not very many people here right now. So I want you to come up here with me. I'm gonna I wanna pray with you. And there's several of you that have shared and I've been, I've got my little card here. I've been praying specifically for the needs here at Sturkey Hills. And so I want to continue to, to pray for you all. And, uh, and, uh, and you pray for us. Father, as we come tonight, you know the needs of this church. Father, I don't take it lightly that we get to be here. It's an honor for us to be here. And Father, there's people that have, uh, that have shared hurting people, maybe disease, maybe going through financial difficulties, maybe marital problems, maybe spiritual problems, emotional problems, whatever it is, Father, I pray right now that Sturkey Hills will be a place where they can come and be prayed for. And Father, th- to leave and know that you change lives. And Father, tonight for these that have been mentioned, those that, are, are, that, are, that need help, they need you to, to put your arms around them, love them, care for them. And Father, I know there's some in here tonight that probably have somebody they love, care for, maybe a family member, friend, somebody they work with that is lost, that needs to be saved. And Father, I pray tonight, would you move, would you move and, and, and make a change in their lives? Plant that seed. Help us to be a good witness to those that uh, we come into contact with, each one in this room tonight. I pray for every home that's represented here tonight. God, would you meet the need that is there, that uh, they would know you love them and you care for them no matter what. Meet the need of this church. Every aspect of this church continues to help them to, to minister in these walls and beyond and in this world. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you all so much for being here. We hope that God spoke to you through this message. If you enjoyed the message, be sure to subscribe to our weekly podcast and visit our website at sturkey.church to find all the latest information and upcoming events. Be sure to join us again next week. Until then, may God bless you.